This is an RNZ podcast. Hello and welcome to this episode of Your Money with me, Mary Holm. Thanks for taking just a few minutes to listen in while Jesse Mulligan and I talk through some useful ideas about how to make your money work better for you. Just remember though, this is guidance. Final decisions are up to you. Over to Jesse. Let's go to our money experts, Mary Holm, who's in for a Thursday. Hi, Mary. Hi, Jesse. Good juicy topic this week. Yeah, I noticed when I was reading through some of the letters that people have, emails that people have sent in, that there were two about um, difficult, well, possible difficulties in relationships about different attitudes to money. And it got me thinking about the, there are two different ways in which this kind of manifests itself. One is when people just plain have different attitudes to money spending, investing and all of that. And the other is when people get together, usually a bit later in life. I mean, if you if you get together when you're 20 or 25, often no, no neither of you's got much money, and you just yeah. kind of you sort of learn together, don't you? Together, but but if you get together at 45 or 65, um, it can be a very different situation. So I thought it'd be interesting to have a look at, at ways people might be able to work around this. Um, it, it, it's really important because the experts in, in relationship counselling and that say that financial issues are, are a major, if not the major, reason for breakups. And and even if you know you're not about to break up with your partner, you still might have quite a lot of arguments, <laughs> difficulties over over money problems. Tension, so, yeah. And I, you're almost lucky if you do find someone who looks at money in exactly the same way as you do, yeah. right? It's such an individual thing. Very, yes, yeah. I, I, I should just add at the beginning here that, I, you know, the, the, there'll probably be some professional counsellors listening to this and saying, what does she know? I'm not a counsellor, I, but I have learnt quite a lot from, from letters to my column, letters to, the, to your show, um, just living life actually, watching what's happened to me and my friends over the years. So it's, uh, what I'm saying is based, but also quite a lot of reading about the subject too. Imagine if you sparked up a relationship with someone and they seemed all good and then one day you found out that they read Mary Holmes' column on a Saturday in the uh, Herald as well, you'd know they were the one. <laughs> Absolutely, Jesse. Yes, In fact, yes. maybe there are people out there who have that story. They bonded over the business section. <laughs> that, that will be a bit, I was going to say a bit sad. No, but <laughs> no. I'd like to think there's something a little bit more romantic happened okay. perhaps right. when people first meet. But, would, you, would you like but, this first letter then that someone sent in? Yeah. Do you want to read out the first letter? Cause, have you got it there? Yes, dear Mary. My partner has quite a different view to retirement and savings. He has a very conservative, cautious approach where I feel we have already many assets and abundance. Are you able to explain more on the psychology influences or suggest ways that we could reach a happy medium together? That's from Jacqueline. Yes, yeah, and so, so this is, they don't, don't, haven't necessarily got together later on in life, they've just got different attitudes to money and it seems to me that people probably learn attitudes to money from their parents um, in one of two ways. So, you know, if we don't really think about it, we probably just follow our parents' attitudes to money 
Although then again, mum and dad might each have have had a different attitude and you've seen that problem emerge. But then again, people might very consciously say, I want to do some things differently from my parents. And I mean, I've seen people, for example, who were brought up in very frugal households and very careful with their money, and they are also that way. On the other hand, there are some who were brought up in very frugal households who say, blow this, life's for living, I'm going to you know, buy none, nothing but the best. And so there's kind of two diametrically opposed um, mm. responses to that sort of upbringing. And similarly, I think when people have financial problems as adults, um, some of them after that just totally hunker down and, and are very careful with their money. And you do get some people, though, who say, oh, it's all too hard, I'm just going to spend money as I get it and enjoy life right now, I might be hit by a bus tomorrow. So there's so many different attitudes. And I think, I mean, one thing that strikes me in that letter that you just read is that she, the woman says, Jacqueline says, he has a very conservative, cautious approach, and I think we've already got enough assets and an abundance. And... That's how she sees it. He might see it that she's just a terrible spender, you know, and that he's just he's just being <laughs> averagely careful, and she's just a big spender. And I, I mean, I'm sure that's partly what happens. That a lot of us think that we're the sort of reasonable one in the middle, and the other ones either extremely mean and cautious with money or a huge big spender, and the other person probably <laughs> put themselves in the middle and sees you as the one out on the edge. Do you get what I mean? Yes, it, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, um, and particularly those thing, things tend to kind of, you tend to get further apart as the issue lies undiscussed and the tensions sort of there, and you, yeah, yeah. you do get more entrenched in your position. Which, which brings us to to the obvious rule number one, which probably everybody kind of knows, but they don't always follow, and that is you've got to talk about it. As a couple, you've got to sit down. People are listening to this today, maybe tonight. They can skip a TV show and sit down and talk about about their attitudes to money. Yeah, I don't know, Mary. Lots of relationships survive by knowing what not to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Look, absolutely, except that the trouble with money is that it's that if one of you is out there spending a heck of a lot, for example, then not talking about it might be kind of denying a reality that you're going to have to confront at some point. Yeah. And, and by the way, talking about people spending a lot, I read fairly recently um, some research in Stanford about what they call compulsive buying disorder, which is when you just spend and spend and get yourself into into trouble by yeah. doing so. You and get the you get the joy from the spending, not from the object itself. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, yes. And and they said it's almost as common among men as women, which goes against the stereotype. I think the stereotype is that, you know, if someone's a mad shopper that it's that it's a woman doing that. Um and apparently not necessarily at all. It it goes both ways. But maybe maybe I'm really out on a limb here, Mary, but maybe this this sort of spending can be more obviously pointed to if it's a woman doing it, whereas a man might have um might be spending in different, less obvious ways. That's just off the top of my head. Possibly. Possibly. Mm. Um I mean, do you do get men who you know, must have a new car very often, you know, every year or every couple of years. Or, 
that sort of thing. And, and maybe they don't then spend so much on smaller items, but they are splashing out in a big way on big items. And, um, yeah, I know I was in a relationship once where where I was very carefully saving money and then he was spending um, in ways that were much... He, You know, he'd blow... A hundred dollars, and I'd been carefully saving five dollars mm. here and three dollars yeah. there, and started yeah. thinking this is just stupid on my part. Which I suppose is why some people end up doing everything completely separate. Particularly, yes. I would think even more often these days. Yeah, that, I mean that that obviously is one is one way to 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 some extent solve the problem. It it's still so so that if you've each got your own bank account and. And you know you might just put your own earned income into it and spend your own money, or you might, if one of you is earning a lot more than the other, one of you might not be earning any because they might be looking after little kids, something like that. Then perhaps you split the income down the middle. But it, it's really a good idea, I think, certainly for people to have at least some money that's just in their own account that's not not couple money, if, if for no other reason than that that you, your partner can't find out how, how much you spent on their birthday or mm. or, or whatever. But but um, getting back to talking about it, I think it, a good starting point for people is to talk about what the attitudes were in their household when they were growing up. It, it It's perhaps an easier way to get into the subject rather than just sitting down and saying, you spend too much, you know. Um, yeah. They're talking about where these attitudes came from and then then talking about how that might be affecting how you handle money now. Um, and, and, and then if you can agree that one of you spends more than the other one likes and the other one is a bit too conservative for the, you know, A thinks that or B and B thinks that, if you can sort of just come to an agreement that okay, you are pretty conservative. In the case of Jacqueline, you know, she and her partner might be agreeing that he's is quite conservative and quite careful with his money and she does tend to spend more and then go from there on what they're going to aim at, you know, where the happy medium lies really. It's um, a really interesting point that I read about a while back from I mean, not no relationship experts is that it's often not so much the money, how the money problems, but how decisions about money are made that cause trouble with couples. You know, where one partner feels they can just go ahead and buy something or other, quite perhaps quite a major item, without asking the other one, and the other one's very angry that they weren't consulted and. Uh, that's something really good to keep in mind that it might be good to talk about, you know, how much is okay for the other person to spend without you knowing about it or, you know, just a rough idea of, of, of that sort of amount. Now, um, your mention of counsellors earlier um, has prompted a text message from a counsellor and she says the best book on relationships and money she's come across is called how Money Comes Between Us by Rhonda Pritchard. She says she's loaned it to many of her clients over the years. Rhonda's an old family friend of ours just by chance, but uh, that sounds like quite a good one, How Money Comes Between yeah. Us. Don't know if Rhonda, it's still in she's print. she's a New Zealander, isn't she? Yeah, so, from Hamilton, yeah. Yeah, so that... Um, 
Yeah, no, that that sounds good. That sounds okay. like a good idea. Um, yeah, and because I mean, really, this is big stuff in people's lives because it can ruin relationships, and, and as I say, if not if not end them, still just make them not nearly as nice as they could be. And yeah, um, I, you know, in the I, I think if people are having a conversation, it's probably a good idea if they've got different attitudes to see if they can come to some kind of agreements about how much it's okay for the other one to spend and possibly even write them down. I mean, I know that sounds a bit over the top, but then they're there and they're typed out and put on the fridge or something and and you can point out, hey, you said it was okay if I spent this much or or, or whatever. But um, it, it might be quite hard to actually change people's attitudes, so it's probably more about learning to agree about what the other one what what's okay for the other one to do and what's not okay for the other one to do I think yeah um if it's a, if it's disagreements about what to to invest in for example you know you could get one partner quite happily investing in rental property and the other one just not enjoying being a landlord and those are kind of issues you've got to talk through too um who's going to be the one that makes the phone call when the tenants haven't haven't paid their rent and, and that kind of thing. And if one of you finds that very difficult, the other one might have to get out of that type of investment. It's, yeah. That's less oh. money and more like your, it encompasses your whole life really, doesn't it? It's about lifestyle yes. and responsibilities and debt and all those sorts of things. Yeah, and, um, and generosity. You mm. know, when... Um, if you're planning a dinner party for friends and one of you thinks it's fine to spend several hundred dollars on fabulous food and wine and the other one thinks, no, I think we can have a great time with fish and chips and and mm-hmm. a bottle of supermarket plonk, you know, um, that's something that really needs to be talked through too and perhaps agreed on before one of you goes out shopping and comes back with a whole lot of stuff the other one doesn't agree with, you know, or gifts in general. Um, huge variations in how much people think it's appropriate to spend on a sibling at Christmas or something like that. So, okay, we better get on to the second letter and I'll just yes, jump out for a moment because um, we're playing Link 3 today and I'm sorry to say, listeners, that none of you have got the answer um, and so I'm going to give you a clue and my clue for you today is to look at the albums. Look at the albums. Just a reminder of our Link 3 songs today. Peg by Steely Dan, Paranoid, live in 1982 from Black Sabbath, and I Do, I Do, I Do from ABBA. Good luck, everyone. 2101 to take your guess. Or 0800 653 Dear Mary, do you have any ideas on how to plan for a retirement together with your partner when you have very different incomes and accessible retirement funds, especially if you've met later in life after having kids and only have another 15 or 20 years of working life in front of you? Thanks, Tom. Yes, that's a letter from Tom, yes. Um, And once again, I suppose a good idea would be to sit down and, and perhaps write down, here's where we're at at the moment. Here's your assets and your income and here's my assets and my income so that you sort of broadly agree to where you're starting from um, it's, it's, 
I mean, the best advice on this is only to fall in love with people with a similar amount of money. <laughs> <laughs> but but we've all it's hard been, enough already, Mary. Don't want any more restrictions. That's exactly right. Yes, it, it's um, it, it, so so it's tough and. And obviously one of the issues that comes up here is what's sometimes called a prenup or prenuptial agreement, which, of course, can be not just before you get married, but it, but it can be drawn up at any time, whether you're married or not. Um, the, more formally, it's called Contracting Out of the Relationship Property Act. And I would suggest that people in this situation where they're getting together or are together and they've got very different incomes, etc., that... They just go online and, and read a bit about the Property Relationship Act, so that the, sorry, Relationship Property Act, so that they um, know where they stand. The, the um, what do you call it? Citizens Advice Bureau has got a really good accessible summary on on their website. But um, it's oh, I, when people say, well, should should we get a uh, draw up an agreement? You know, we we're starting, we're moving in together, and it always seems so kind of cold and calculated and to do that, and I think some people feel like it's not really expressing confidence in the relationship. Yeah. Um, and th there's no clear answer to that. I wouldn't say you absolutely must have an agreement, but I think it'd be really good for both people to at least have read up about it and know where they stand. And Although, by the way, the um, Law Commission's looking at suggesting it's made suggested some changes to the Property Relationship Act. Well, I keep saying that the Relationship Property Act, um, and, and and it'd be good to just read a quick summary of those changes as well. Um, like it, they, what they're looking at is if the family home was owned by one of you beforehand, um, then it isn't necessarily divided 50-50 if you break up. Um, that's that's a suggested change. Um, but but this guy Tom. You know, it sounds as though what they've got here is quite different investments. Let's just say he's got more than she, although who knows which way around it is. Mm. Um, the so he should understand that that the investments of this definitely separately his they can stay his, but if they kind of become part of the relationship. If one of his investments was a rental property and they both helped to run the rental property and both worked on maintenance on it and that sort of thing, then it could become relationship property. So I really think it's a good idea for people to read up about the Act and know where they stand. Um, and, I mean, another difficulty that comes up is travel, um, treats, gifts, that sort of thing. If one of you's got a whole lot more money than the other, one of you might be keen on big, expensive travel to Europe, and the other one might say, "No, a little trip down to Fokitani is fine with me." Um, and so maybe the better off one's going to have to subsidise the other one's travel, or um, although not everybody would accept that. It's so I'm, I feel like I'm giving, raising more problems than giving solutions here, but it's 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 kind of about acknowledging that these issues are there and talking about them. Bef while they're still a bit sort of theoretical rather than when you're actually booking the travel and one of you's committed to paying a lot of money and the other one says, look, I just can't really afford to pay half of that or, or, or whatever, you know. Once you're in the heat of the moment, that's when the arguments happen and things get really horrible. Also encouraging to know that it happens in other relationships, not just your own too. <laughs> yes, yes. Mm. As you say, it happens in probably every relationship to some extent. But, but 
you know, it's not stupid to go and get a little bit of counselling on this too. I mean, if you sit down first and, and work out where you're at now, what your different attitudes are, what your different assets are, and your different income, and see where you want to go from there, and then possibly if you can't find a way to sort of agree on how to handle these differences, then it might be worth just going and you might just have one or two sessions with a counsellor where they're just helping you to kind of navigate through it and work out what works best. Thank you, Mary. Great to have you in. And next week, uh, we're actually taking listener letters on a particular theme. Uh, if you yes, have any next questions, fortnight it is, sorry, <laughs> yes, next fortnight. If you have any questions about emergency money or rainy day money, that's the topic that Mary will be discussing. So uh, send them in to Jesse at rnz.co.nz, and we'll put them to Mary Thursday in two weeks' time. Thanks, Mary. Yeah. Yes, it's a pleasure, Jesse. Can I just make one quick point about the rainy yeah. day money? Just that that's the way that people stop themselves getting into big financial trouble. It's, it's a really important thing because it's when things go wrong and you haven't got rainy day money that you tip over into this big long-term high-interest debt and the trouble begins. So it's important stuff. So I'd love to get letters from people about that. Great. Thank you, Mary.